This isn't the new year according to the scriptures. <laughs> it's the new year according to some pagan system. I don't know, but I'm going to wish you a happy new year anyway and take my chances. Happy new year to you. Hopefully you were a good boy or girl last night and you're not nursing a nasty hangover this morning. If you are, well, we'll try to speak softly for you. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. I'm Troy Skinner, the uh, 18 and a half years almost now long host of the Faith Debate. Uh, joined this week, uh, as I have been penned for the last couple of weeks now, Daniel Rasvi. You can learn more about the ministry that he and his church are involved with. It's uh, conqueredbylove.org is the website, conqueredbylove.org. And Stephen Yerger is with a church called the Shabbat Gathering in Southern PA. And as far as I know, they do not have even a social media presence, much less a website. But uh, you, if you need to connect with Stephen, you like what something he has to say or you want to give him a hard time and yell at him, uh, you can reach me and I'll be glad to pass it along. Best way to reach me is to go to uh, my church's website. Our church is called the Household of Faith in Christ and our website is householdoffaithinchrist.com. All my contact information is there and you can link to things related to the faith debate there too and all my social media and all the sermons. And It's a one-stop shop for everything that is Troy Skinner. So, I'm not sure if that's a selling point or <laughs> if that's going to chase people away. Who who needs that in their life, right? So, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about Bible translations, and this is feeling kind of old school to me. Long-time listeners to the faith debate uh, know that when we first started doing the show, we would do one or two shows with a particular panel. Uh, actually, a very, when we very, very first time we started doing the show, I think we did a panel a show. And we're recording every week. And after a couple of weeks, it became clear, okay, that's not going to work. <laughs> so we started having the same panel. And we record a couple of shows on a couple of different topics. And maybe even did a third show on occasion. Then we realized, you know what? We've got this panel together. So we got in the habit of kind of doing four or five shows with the same panel. And we would try to tackle two or three different topics. But over time, we realized that we wanted to go deep on some of these things. It became very habitual. For more than a decade, our habit was to pick a topic, pull together a panel, and do four or five shows on that one topic, uh, which sounds like, how could you do so many shows? Well, the shows are short. So you add all the shows together, it's just a little over a couple hours. So, I mean, having a nice couple-hour conversation about deep, you know, strong uh, theological issues, uh, time can go by faster than you think. So this is feeling kind of old school because it's our third week in a row where we're going to be talking about uh, Bible translations and, and, and the text and that sort of thing. And so uh, I'm kind of excited about it. Um, something that came up the last couple of weeks as we were talking about the translations, the New International Version, the NIV, and I mentioned it in the context of it being a fine translation. It's, it's a dynamic equivalency translation. If you want to know what that means, listen to last week's show. Uh, but the one thing I should have made a point of, there are uh, editorial decisions that are made with new copyright versions. They put out a new version of their Bible, a new edition of their Bible. Sometimes they make some changes. And the NIV, uh, up to and including 1984, uh, I think was pretty biblically you know, solid. Then they started going in a gender neutral direction and they have their reasons for that. And you know what? I'm not going to go so far as to say they're going to burn in hell as a result of making that translational decision, but it's unhelpful because the gender, the, the pronoun, the gender pronouns in scripture are important because of all of the teaching about patriarchy and sonship and adoption and headship all of these things don't make anywhere near as much sense if you lose the gender. The gender helps to 
doctrinally understand what the Bible is teaching and how it applies. My wife is a Christian, and in a sense, she is a son. She is adopted and treated as a son, even though she's also a daughter of Christ. But she's treated as a son, meaning she's not only treated as a son, she's treated like as a firstborn. She's got huge inheritance benefits uh, to being in Christ. She's a co-heir in Christ. She has everything that Christ has, he shares with his bride. Um, so that the sonship aspect, the importance of the adoption aspect gets lost if you lose. Now, you can apply the masculine pronouns and the masculine uh, teaching to feminine believers or the feminine in the world. But you lose you, you, you sometimes can lose the teaching if you're not careful. So you're saying that. You are fine with your congregation reading the NIV as long as it's 1984 or prior. You would not recommend that they read on a regular basis. Yeah, I'd, anything I'd, newer than that. Yeah, I would NIV. go further to say I recommend against. I would, I would agree with that. I, I recommend don't, against. Yeah. Don't read the modern version of the NIV because it's hard to find the old one because they've been aggressively trying to stamp it out and delete it. Yeah, exactly. they try to sue people that quote it sometimes. And if you go to a website like Bible Hub or something like that, it's not. I think Bible Hub, one of those Bible Gateway. The, the 1984 edition is not even one of the English translations you can click on to choose. So you have to actually like put in your search engine NIV 1984 to get an online version of that translation of the NIV. They're really you're right. They're really trying to stamp it out, which is bizarre. Why do they care so much? But they do. So uh, part They're of the becoming woke, I think. I think that's the yeah. reason. And you might have to define that. Uh, the whole thing is, has God said, you take words that mean something. And you're telling people now that it means something else. And consequently, you're having those conversations, you know, what is a man? What is a woman? What is, you know, it's, it's really very confusing, uh, this whole m switching of words. And, and then the enemy can come in and just say, has God said? And it becomes real problematic. So... Yeah. Uh, By the way, woke is basically, in common vernacular, it's just runaway leftism. And so feminism as part of that would lead to the gender-neutral language you find in the NIV. Uh, I'm not sure that the newer translations of the NIV are advocating for uh, diversity, equity, equality across the board as it comes to, like, skin color or some of the other issues that are hot buttons right now in our society and worldwide culture. Uh, but definitely the feminist, the, the, the strident feminist stuff has had an impact on them, I think, and not for the good, unfortunately. And, and that can be kind of fighting words. But if you're a feminist, I got to tell you, if you claim to be a feminist and you're not a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a much stronger feminist than you are in the true sense of what that word should mean. I have a higher sense, if I'm consistent in my Christian worldview and the biblical teaching... And, and, and as consistent as I am in, in my walk in following after Christ, nobody has a higher view of women than Jesus Christ. And so those that are following in that way, that understand that Jesus is the truth and, and the way of life, they're going to have an impeccably high view of women. And any radical feminist uh, actually uh, uh, is diminishing what it means to be a woman without realizing it. And we're seeing that come up with all the stuff that's going on with female sports and all that sort of stuff. That's a bit of a, of a rabbit trail. Let's get back on the translational issue here. Um, we talked about wanting to know what did the author write. How can we have confidence of what the original authorship, what we call the autographs, right, the original autographs of the, of the scriptures, how can we know that we can, can know what they said? I have thoughts and opinions, but 
I took us on rabbit trail, so I have to penalize myself and let you guys um, offer an opinion, if you have one, of how we, how, how we can and why we well, should the, the have The simple fact that almost all of the original texts agree with each other in pretty much every... And, and there, there's a few that are really weird out there, but universally recognized by the community as not being scripture. Um, you know, but in general, I mean, no matter where you go, if you go to Egypt, if you go to Russia, if you go to you know um, Israel or or Jordan or wherever these you find these texts, they're all going to agree. You unearth some new text, the, they unearth the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it agreed with. All the you know all the all those major theological points. It, it, it it's you know, and here's the, the fascinating thing about that truth, because that is that is a fact. And here's something that's really fascinating about that. It has been accomplished through history, without there being a controlled text. It's been it's 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 happened within the context of there being a a free transmission of the text, meaning controlled text. Uh, Something uh, more akin to what we would hear about the Quran, where it's it's uh, it's really almost militantly defended, like the, the the original writing, and if anything variant, it's like done away with, it's burned. So much it's, so that they said you can't even translate it until just a few decades ago. And yeah, so there's this centralized authority that's controlling what the text is for all time. That is not the Bible story. The, the, the textual story on the Bible is it's been a free transmission. Even the Catholic Church couldn't do it because they had the Orthodox Church with their own set of texts. Right. And yeah, and the, the and Alexandrian the, and text and the, the Byzantine text. There's all these different textual traditions. And so and it makes sense because back in the day, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have the ability to have the, the they didn't have jet planes and things. And so things were more local. The transmission of the text would be more localized. And so you take something that was from Africa and you compare it to something that was from the uh, western part of Europe and you compare that with something from, uh, you know, right around Jerusalem and compare that with something from Asia Minor, all these different textual traditions, and you compare them and here we are thousands of years later and they agree. It's, and yeah, the Dead Sea Scroll finding from the 1940s just was huge in helping to bolster the reality of that fact because these were ancient, ancient documents. And if there was any change in the other documents we found, we would have identified those changes with the, uh, with, with that huge find. So, you know, speaking about the integrity of the scriptures, uh, here in Second uh, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty-one says, "For no pro- prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but moved, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, as spoke from God," and. I think the context of preserving God's Word is so important because uh, are we going to take liberties in our translating or take assumptions or add commentary and then find ourselves, you know, in Deuteronomy it says you will not, you should not add or take away. Um, So, and even in the New Testament, uh, even in the book of Revelations, it talks about adding to the prophecy or taking away from it. So there's a real responsibility that those that teach the Word of God uh, within the general body of Christ, that you have a responsibility that's very, very important that you, you stay within the confines of the Scripture and not take liberties that go outside because then you end up change, changing the message. And we have to be very careful about that. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking about changing the message and the whole translational process, we this came up between the three of us in between uh, the last show and the start of this show. And so I want to 
bring it up in, in this context now. There's something that's gained some steam, I think, because of the Internet and social media. It's called the Hebrew Roots Movement. And you know what? I can actually applaud what some of the instincts behind that are, the aim to want to get back to the roots. <laughs> we want to get, right, it's kind of like the Reformation uh, understanding, right? We want to get back to what do the scriptures say? What are, let's get back to the roots of the faith. And so I, I applaud that. But at least, and I don't think it's monolithic, so it's, I don't no. think it's fair to just say that all Hebrew roots people are going to be the same. But, but you find boy, some there's common some themes, real you, problems. You find there. some common themes, basically, when somebody says Hebrew roots, and I don't identify as Hebrew roots, m- mainly because it has some connotations that I don't want to give you when, you, when I say that. Um, but you, usually you see some common themes, which I do agree with, such as um, uh, a belief that the Old Testament never went away and that all the laws are still in effect for Christians, that we should be following all of the Torah laws, and I, I agree with that. Um, and, and the other one being that the uh, day of rest should be on Saturday because it never changed to Sunday, and, and I agree with that also. Um, and, but there, it, a, lot of, uh, that, a lot of that also gets wrapped up in the sacred name movement, and that's a subset, right. and it's not, ex- not all the same. And maybe we'll do a show, maybe next week we'll focus specifically on some of those, what I think are some heretical ideas. But translationally speaking, one of the things that, that that's how it connects to the translation is at least some of the Hebrew roots people I know they make the argument that the New Testament was not written in Greek, that it was written in Hebrew, that both Testaments' original language is Hebrew. Well, that causes all sorts of problems because we have no textual evidence for an original Hebrew canon like in the, in the New Testament. It just does not exist. It's like it's out of thin air. Well, I think it's important to, again, um, like in mainstream Christianity, I think it would be fair to say you have about... If you were to take every denomination that ever existed in the history of, just say, our country, you could have twenty to 30,000 uh, different denominations that somebody believes this, they don't believe that, they break off, they start another one, and it just, it's like a slow-running atomic explosion of divide and divide and divide and divide, and it, it's chaotic and it's a mess. So with the Hebrew Roots Movement, there's also different factions, different people that, that grab onto where they were lying to us. And, I mean, it can go back into with Christmas or Easter. There's a whole section of people that can go down that road. And it becomes a um, where you have to really settle down and say, and, and like with Daniel, you know, Christian, you keep the whole Word of God, you do what the Word of God says, and when you start going into some of these almost rabbinical type of uh, exposures, it can be problematic because it's almost like somebody that um, gets so hurt being in mainline Christianity from being a Baptist that they want to get into something that's real safe and real liturgical, and they go to be like a Lutheran because they want everything scripted because everything was so free and so you know, let's just be, uh, you know, do our thing here. And so, yes, we need order. God says we need to have order, but we also need to let the Spirit of God be able to move freely. Paul addresses a tremendous amount of that within Corinthians and, and, and just the different aspects about how to let, you know, the order of things, tongues, no tongues, healings, gifts, you know, how all this rolls out. So the Hebrew movement 
Um, you have to look at a specific group and you have to kind of test and see and see where they're staying with the scriptures. And if they start going well, off... What scriptures they're using? Because they have their own version of the Bible now. Well, most... It, again, it's it's some, by congregation. Yeah, some of them do. Right. S- s- I, I, we know people in the Most Hebrews of the movement. ones I've interacted with do. Okay. <laughs> most, yeah, most, most of the ones I, uh, I've interacted with have been starting to be... It's starting to be more common to use a version from the Institute of Scripture Research called... Or ICR called The Scriptures. And I think that's the one you're talking about. Uh, Troy. Yeah, probably, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but that's probably very, right. It's very yeah. similar in many ways to the King James, but it changes the English words to back to Hebrew in certain ones, particularly with the name of God or the name of Jesus. It's almost always Yahweh or, uh, instead of, in, in, instead of uh, um, God or Lord in English, and then Jesus is always written out as Yeshua instead of Jesus um, in English. And yeah, there's well, there's, yeah, there's, the, there's, the, well. there's the tetragram that in, in the Old Testament, you know, right. usually and in an English translation, is going to be all caps, L-O-R-D, and that's your way of knowing it's the personal covenant name y- of God. Y- so it's, it's, again, you know, people are taking what's already in the Scripture, and they're just applying it. Now, are they taking liberties? I mean, Daniel, you'll say yes. Yes. But the ISR, um, you know, read the front of the book and its prefix and what they're trying to accomplish and then make a judgment. Uh, maybe you have. I don't know. Um, but like anything else, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's folks that, you know, we know of congregations where they use New King James. Uh, we know people that use the uh, NASB or even the NIV. So it's not every single congregation that uses, and again, it's... The, 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 main, the main thing, I, I, the problem I have with the approach of those translators and, and, and the comments they make, both in the preface and other things that ISR has said, is the idea that if you're not trying to always use the sacred name, you're not always trying to say Yeshua instead of Jesus. Right, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, that's then, anathema. Then, right? then you, you cannot you're say becoming Jesus. A, you got to know your audience. You got to know your audience. I mean, if you're coming, like you guys, have, you know, when you have house church and, you know, using some Hebrew type language to people that are coming from mainstream Christianity, you want to be sensitive and say, okay, instead of saying Yeshua, you'd say Jesus. That's how they know Jesus. They know Jesus by Jesus. But see, the yeah, problem but, that they but, have... But, that, but, but the, just the way you phrase that implies that, oh, well, once, they, once they're more grounded, then we'll be able to explain to them the real good stuff about, of course, they can't use that word anymore. They've got to start using I didn't Yeshua. I not you could you not don't. use... You don't, but, but, that's, but that's the argument that I've, and I've heard from the ISR and others, that it is wrong for a Christian to be saying anything other than what they call the sacred name of so God. We have I think same, that's, that's we have the not. same problem that we have when people say King James only or pre-trib rapture only or, you know, we go through our different now, definitions. this is different, though, because they would say uh, that you're, if you use the name of Jesus, that you're not a true believer. They make it a, a salvation, at least people I've talked That's to. That's not, not my understanding, but I depends on the congregation. You, it does depend on the congregation. There are some. Maybe the more wacky are ones you are the ones getting that internet exposure on, on that, that you're watching somebody over in Washington State that might be espousing that. And unfortunately, we see a sign and we look at that, you know, meaning, okay, this is the Hebrew Roots Movement, and whatever exposure in our human nature, we come to a view and say, well, that's what they are. It's not a unified denomination primarily because it's mostly house churches. And so there is, isn't really a presbytery of... Uh, or unchurched. Uh, or, or unchurched. Some of them are unchurched. 
but a lot are coming to regular church building yeah, congregations. They're being influenced by what they're seeing online more than they're being influenced by some pastor There's somewhere. a fair amount of Hebrews that are in buildings having regular congregations with pastors. But they're hung up the on the Yeshua uh, name, for example, because they think that the New Testament... That's what, that's what his name was in Hebrew. That's all that's, all that's no, saying. It, it is. Right, but in Greek, it's Yesus. Yesus. In which Jesus, Yesus, if you... I mean, they're they're kind of the same thing, just a different way of saying it's, it's the letter. whatever you feel comfortable with and what you practice as a congregation, I, but is it wrong? It, well, that's, it, that's the thing that... Yeah, no, it, it's not wrong to call okay. Jesus Yeshua, but it's wrong to say that you can only call him Yeshua. Well, that I... Who, I is, is right, and that's not, what I'm saying. But again, I mean, you know, you go I with I call your, him Yeshua when I pray sometimes, <laughs> but it doesn't, that doesn't make it wrong. Again, you know what I say, we, Jesus almost we don't want to We don't want to broad brush the movement, just like we don't want to be broad brushed. Okay, you don't want to be broad brushed. You know, there are specific things that you do as a congregation that you feel is the expression the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, this is the message we want to get out to people in our local area. Right. But again, there's two separate things that we're discussing. Nobody's trying to paint a whole group of people as one homogenous group. But what I'm saying is that there is a specific doctrine that is found overwhelmingly in the ISR documents and in the translation, that doctrine is that using other names besides what they call the sacred name is wrong for a Christian to do. They believe that. I'm not saying all people that identify in this movement believe that, right. but they do, and this ta- a podcast is about uh, translations, so specifically to that translation, the people who made that translation, they do believe that, and that's wrong. It is a, not only a bad doctrine, it's a heretical doctrine to say that you can't call God by, some other, by, by your whatever name he, he's actually gone by in many, in many times. We'll have a whole other episode about that soon, that Allah is actually God as well. Um, and you can, call, you can pray to Allah uh, as, as a as Christian. Elohim. As a Christian. You know, me, a God, a Lord, no, a, a, mighty, no, a mighty one? No, I mean, no, that what Elohim Jehovah, means? Jehovah God is, is what it means. We'll talk about that. I think we have another um, okay. in another that'll, week. That'll be an interesting. Yeah, we've but, uh, yeah we've only got um, you know a very short amount of time. But to keep it on the uh, on the translational issue, <coughs> and this is almost unfair because you're not going to have a whole lot of time to respond. Or depending on how quickly I can say this, but we're talking about memorizing text, picking one, you know, memorizing Bible, picking a particular uh, translation you're going to memorize. But we want to be careful. And this is why I'm sensitive to this because what what would we do with the Book of Revelation where I'm going to make all the King James only people really mad now. There are a lot of problems in the book of Revelation in the King James only version. A lot of problems. Uh, more so like anywhere else. They get Because Erasmus, as they were leaning on Erasmus's work, and Erasmus didn't have the Greek text to work from, so he took Latin uh, and, uh, and translated it into, I think that's how he did it, took Latin and translated it into Greek and then translated that into, I mean, or whatever. He, he was using stuff from commentaries and in different languages and translating it back. So you end up with some very original translational decisions that are unique to Erasmus, and that's what the King James translators were leaning on. So you have some stuff in, uh, I think it's in chapter 8 and chapter 16, and, and the, the, the whole tail end of the last chapter, 22, that are completely unique in the King James compared to other translations. Is, do I want my congregation memorizing Revelation out of the King James? Absolutely not. Because it is the furthest away from the original writing of what I believe the Apostle John wrote Revelation. I think is the furthest away of the, of the good English. And I would say the King James is a good translation. 
but it's got a lot of challenges. So I would have just so that's why I, I'm not going to get hung up on you must. I mean, if somebody if somebody wants to memorize the King James I, in Revelation, I guess that's okay. But they got to know that they're memorizing some stuff that's probably and I dis- not. And I would best. disagree. Um, you know, I don't have the proof or evidence here to back it up, uh, up in front of me, but I've done a lot of research on on the topic. As I said at the beginning of, I think, three weeks ago now or two weeks ago, that I still believe that, uh, and so Troy doesn't speak for all of us, obviously, I, I still believe that the King James is the most easy to find, co- commonly available, most accurate out of all those English texts that are easy to find. Maybe there's an argument elsewhere, but... Clearly not in the book of Revelation. I mean, chapter 22 is a mess in, in the King James. So you, you take the same... <laughs> we, might, we might have to finish this up next okay. week. I don't know. I, I don't, like I said, I can't, I can't refute it on the air here because I don't have the documentation. All right, that's Daniel Rasby. Stephen Yerger is also on the show. I'm Troy Skinner. This is The Faith Debate. Find me online at householdoffaithinchrist.com and connect to the show for that. Till next week, God bless.